Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Paddy Farrell. Paddy, how are you, how are you this week? I am positively fantastic, young Gary, young Lord Skinny Gaz, as you are affectionately known now that you are on the old TikTok. Oh, TikTok, sorry, whatever it is. Um, you are Lord Skinny Gaz, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Fantastic. Um, and today we are discussing uh, a topic that continues on from the fat loss series that we have been running. And this is obviously a little bit more pertinent to our female uh, listeners. Um, but obviously, if you coach females yourself, you are a personal trainer or a coach, etc. Um, or you just like listening to the smooth, melodic voice of Gary, as he says, nothing on the podcast, um, then follow along. So today we are discussing... I suppose that we would call it is fat loss harder for women or is, you know, fat loss different for women? Because there are a few things that we need to effectively cover to actually finish out and round out this fat loss series, because there are some differences between men and women when it comes to fat loss. And well, that oftentimes doesn't necessarily present a huge barrier. Like it's not like, you know, the fundamentals that we have been talking about change drastically like if you want to lose some fat you still need to be in a calorie deficit whether you're a guy a woman a child a fucking capybara i don't know like it's still thermodynamics at the end of the day right so that doesn't necessarily change however there are obviously differences between men and women in terms of the the physiology we'll say right down to the cellular level there are obviously differences here and we need to account for those differences if we are to actually get the results that we want, right? So that's what we're discussing today. What are your initial thoughts, Gary? Like if someone comes up to you or messages you on Instagram or whatever, and they're like, is it harder? Is because, or is the fact that I'm a woman going to make it harder to lose fat? Like, what are you saying? What's your initial, you know, elevator pitch, if it will, like 30 second answer? My elevator pitch would be that on average, fat loss is not necessarily harder for women, but that there's certain circumstances within the month, within the year, within the lifespan that can certainly make it more challenging. And obviously, there, there's a number of unique aspects to female physiology, but zooming out from just the individual physiological aspects like hormones or whatever, There's also the very obvious things like childbirth, for example, which presents a barrier because obviously if someone is on the path to losing body weight, they're not going to be doing that during pregnancy. And if a woman wants to have, let's say, four, five, six, 10, 12, 15 kids, you know, they might be taking five, three, five to 10 years potentially uh, of their life out to basically, you know, have, have their kids. And it's very difficult for them to engage in a prolonged period of fat loss, obviously. And with that comes, you know, not just the, not just the, you know, inherent requirement for body weight gain and the physiological changes during that time, but also the result of childbirth and the burden on the mother that is often present with not being able to sleep as well when kids are young 
and all those sorts of things, all the responsibilities that come um, with parenting. So they're certainly barriers to fat loss. And on top of that as well, like, yeah, yeah, I can't remember the actual name they gave it, but I think it's like the depleted nutrient hypothesis, you know, where yeah. like basically you need like two years, I think it is the, the time frame in between children to actually replete a lot of the vitamins, minerals, fatty acids, et cetera, that you used up to actually basically photocopy the human race um which is you know very beneficial i like humans um like you use up a lot of nutrients so being in an extended fat loss phase you know post-pregnancy in that kind of postpartum window is not necessarily a good idea uh, for a lot of people uh, especially if they haven't had the most nutritious diet uh, going into that and then obviously again on top of that you could be breastfeeding as well so like, do you want your milk supply to be impacted as well? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a load of things. And like you said, like, we could be talking about, even if you only have, like, three kids, like, a relatively low number of kids, especially in Ireland, like, you know, we like to have lots of kids. And, like, I come from a family of 10. But, you know, yourself, like, we like to have lots of kids. Like, if you're having lots of kids, you could literally, even if it's, like, say, let's see if only three kids. Like, you could still be out, effectively out, for three years in terms of, you know, the actual pregnancy itself, the recovery after that, the breastfeeding, the first you know one to two years of a child's life, it's just harder in terms of getting back into your normal, like potentially you want to go back to work and um, like all that kind of stuff. And as you said, like the societal burden generally falls on women um, to look after and raise children. So we could be looking at 10 years. So it is a, a significant amount of time out of your life, you know, like what is the average life expectancy in Ireland? I think it's 81 or something like that. You know, it's like, that's one eighth of your life potentially. Yeah. And and this is the thing, like the reason I actually led with the discussion of, of pregnancy and childbearing is because people don't often think about it. You know, I think the, the vast majority of discussions around female physiology and fat loss relate to, you know, the menstrual cycle or the pill. And this is probably because a lot of, uh, you know, personal trainers tend to be like young in their twenties, but I mean, for, for women who are starting to have kids in their, in their twenties, let's say, let's say 25 to 30, and you want to have, you know, a good few kids or you're spreading them out by a couple of years, you could be talking any time period between 25 and 35 or even 25 and 40, where someone might be, you know, allocating so many of their resources, both physiologically and in terms of their attention and time, to rearing kids and even if you're you know gaining weight gradually during that time maybe you don't get back to your pre-pregnancy weight then that starts to really accumulate as a barrier over that period of time so very clearly that is something that is a, a significant challenge for fat loss now with that said you know many women don't want to have kids or many women mightn't have kids until later and they mightn't be in that position right now but one of the things that does mean present a, a challenge that's relatively constant um for a lot of women anyway is the menstrual cycle and before you get on to that as well like even if it is a case that you are trying to you know potentially set yourself up correctly i suppose is the right term and mm-hmm. um, for having children like being in an extended fat loss period or being excessively lean is probably not going to put you in the most yeah. fertile position you know so it's like you have to account for that and that's something that can be really hard especially for like you know uh, bikini competitors or people like fitness influencers and whatever else because you definitely see this a, a lot more these days where you'll see people who were clearly like you know hammering drugs or whatever like even if it's just like fat burning drugs or 
you know, fucking, I don't know, whatever. Uh, they're just hang- hammering drugs. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, they went through this period of time of like six months where they clearly intentionally gained some fat. They clearly intentionally, you know, took out all the drugs. They, you know, stopped exercising as much or excessively just in an effort to try to get pre- pregnant. And sometimes you see for these people, they're like, oh, I'm really struggling with this. It can take like two years to get into a good position with their health. So like, just because again, I know on social media and stuff, it is portrayed that, oh, you have to be excessively lean and you have to be, you know, fucking huge boobs, huge ass and whatever other huge lips, whatever fuck it is that, you know, the algorithm favors. Um, that can be antithetical to, anti whatever that word is, um, that can be against your actual goals of having children. So we have to also think about that stuff longer term. Like it can't just be like, oh, I'm just going to go on a fat loss phase. And well, obviously, again, we will talk about the, the the more nuts and bolts stuff. It's like, you do have to have that little bit of a, let's step back here. Like, what are your actual goals in life? You know, like, and I've said this before, but I'm like, I'm not going to do steroids, at least not now anyway, um, because I want to have kids. You know, I'm like, I could literally, if you think about this for our business, me and you, the two of us, Two of us, we just fucking hammer a load of trend, right? Get huge, get up to fucking 300 pounds, shred it. You know, I'm like, let's do all the drugs. But that goes against both of our goals of having children in the future, you know? So it's like, I'm not going to do that because it potentially sacrifices that thing that I care about more. And as a woman, because of the fact that you fortunately or unfortunately have to carry that baby and have to actually be the photocopier, <laughs> I guess, as a... Uh, harsh and crass as that sounds it's like you are the one that's actually continuing life on this earth for the human race so it's like you have a pretty fucking important job so you actually have to plan ahead a little bit and i think this is also why women are a bit more uh mature in general than guys because guys were actually just fucking stupid um but it is something that again just oftentimes does get missed in this discussion of fat loss for women yeah and with that said i think another important point on that is like you don't have to listen to that and be all terrified that if you want to have kids, it absolutely requires you to get fatter and fatter over time. Cause that's often not the case. You know, there's many women who get back to their pre-pregnancy weight and, and healthy eating, et cetera, as normal, you know, but it's just to note that it's certainly a barrier and one that maybe isn't acknowledged as much as some of the other barriers. Now, some of the other barriers that would be acknowledged would be the menstrual cycle, which is something that we've given, you know, quite a bit of lip service to in the past, but it's something that I think is remains fairly poorly um, understood both in terms of, well, firstly, like for an individual woman, like when does her cycle start? When does it end? What are the different phases? What are the implications of that? Um, so for the individual woman, but then on average as well, like what, what's the general cycle length? So like we've gone over this before, but in, in, in summary, I guess, so the average cycle length, which is really important to just note that it's an average, it could be anywhere from uh, plus or minus 20, if not more days, but we're talking about around 28 days, you know, that's the kind of not even an average. It's actually just this make of <laughs> yeah it's, it's like no one has this <laughs> like realistically like if it is an average that means that there's people out there having like 15 day cycles which is just not happening <laughs> you know like that might happen occasionally but it's not happening regularly so it's definitely not an average it's definitely not a median it's basically just a fucking made up an ideal <laughs> it's a textbook ideal okay so the 28 day cycle let's just go with it okay first 14 days very simply is follicular phase second 14 days luteal phase just think of it like that ovulation happens in the middle okay that's the real simple breakdown the first you know four to seven days or so will be menses or your period within that follicular phase so that's a very simple breakdown of the menstrual cycle there's a number of different hormonal changes that take place 
during that time. And the important thing to understand here is that we're not just interested in, you know, the hormonal changes because they, you know, allow you to uh, gain body fat or lose body fat or whatever, but rather that they impact your overall energy expenditure a little bit. And they impact even more importantly, I think, your appetite. Uh, this is probably the, the biggest uh, barrier that can arise because the hormonal changes that take place throughout the cycle effectively lead to uh, an increase in body temperature as you move uh, along your cycle towards the end. And effectively what's happening there is you've got an increase in your metabolic rate. You know, it's not a massive increase like plus 500 calories, but I think if I recall correctly, you might see a change of up to hundred calories. Would that be around what you'd agree with? I've seen, I think I was on the research, like 150 or something. And like yeah. a lot of this stuff is like somewhat anecdotal because, you know, someone has measured through like body temperature and yeah. some of it's like people get really uncomfortable while they're, you know, in their last like two weeks of their cycle mm-hmm. or at least the last week anyway. And they're kind of like, you know, fidgeting a bit more, they can't get comfy. So you are like, you know, expending calories that way. And obviously this is hard to fully, you know, hash out because some people might be like, I'm actually just so uncomfortable that I actually stop burning as many calories because they stop doing stuff like, you know, going for a walk or, you know, doing other things. So it's very poorly, like clearly identified exactly. Like this is the exact number, but this is something that's interesting because like these are, and you probably get into it in a second. This is largely driven through like progesterone. Right. And this is one of those things where it's interesting to think about it based on the fact that like the way people talk about different things, like people are like, Oh no, you're going to go catabolic. You know, people are like, Oh, if you miss your protein feeding window, you're going to go catabolic. Right. But then they'll go into a fat loss phase and they'll be like, all right, I need to jack up my caffeine intake. And I need to jack up my like fat loss stimulants or whatever intake. And, but all of that stuff is basically catabolic. Like it's causing you to burn through energy with no net anabolism, no net gain in like, you know, muscle tissue or whatever else. So it's like, it's interesting to note that when people say that, because you could very easily sell this fucking mastermind project or a program of being like, we're going to overcome the fact that you are more catabolic in the last two weeks of your cycle. Um, you're going to come up with fucking whatever random program be like, Oh, we're going to increase your protein here. And we're going to like, you know, increase calories or whatever else. And like, that is potentially a viable strategy. And we might get into that in a second. Um, but it is interesting the way people talk without realizing that again, like just because like you are burning more calories during these, the latter half of your cycle, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's better for fat loss. Yeah. And, and like, this is the thing is that, like it's kind of attractive to look at the the physiological changes that take place and then hypothesize about how you might implement nutrition accordingly but i think the biggest thing and this is the thing i end up talking to most uh, of my female clients about at least those who it's relevant for um, and that's the the changes in appetite and cravings that can occur towards the end of the cycle i think this is something that's far more consistent than any observable change in performance or anything like that. I think they tend to be pretty subtle, but that that's a, a big one is the change in, in appetite. A lot of, of women that I work with tend to report um, subjectively increased appetite or more difficulty with adherence towards the end of their cycle. And to be honest, it's not even necessarily the case that people are always aware of it. It's sometimes the case that I point it out because what will happen is 
you know, they'll come to a certain stage in their cycle and I have them list in our check-in document, you know, what week they're on each time. And then they'll just say, oh, nutrition adherence wasn't great this week. Not really sure why, you know, I was just had kind of cravings and stuff. Um, oh, I was stressed. You know, yeah, I maybe I, I just lost motivation when in fact it's because of the, the stage of their cycle that they're at. And I think if you can, if you can tune into that, it does give you a certain level of empowerment because one, you can give yourself a bit of a break and say, oh, it's actually not just that I'm not motivated or I'm not disciplined. There's actually some rationale here. And that can sometimes make it less stressful and sometimes can even improve adherence just through the knowledge. But the other thing that it allows you to do is to say, okay, right, I understand that my appetite's up on this week. So each time this week comes around, what we can then do is give the person an extra 100 or 200 calories, let's say, um, or maybe plan one higher day or something along those lines not because we need to compensate for the metabolic changes, but rather just to facilitate those changes in appetite. And I think that's something that can be really, really useful because what it means then is that the, the, the woman is going into her next cycle without the stress of having had a poor week or having been really hungry, because that's the other thing is even if you do stay on track during that period of time where you are more hungry, it might then carry into the next week where you're already kind of fatigued from your, from having to, you know, exert all this discipline and you're, you're already have a bit of hunger going into the week. Whereas if you've taken care of that now, now it's a bit of a smoother transition. So that's something that I've had great success with. Now I, I will say it's not something that all of my uh, female clients uh, will do. I think another important thing to note there as well is that that's also confounded to some degree by those who are on um, oral contraceptives or other modes of contraception. Uh, but that's something that we'll move on to as well. Yeah. And this is an interesting thing because like, like I even just had a client the other day, I think she's about 25, 26, something like that. Um, <clears throat> and she was like, wow, I didn't realize how much more beneficial it is to have a regular cycle. Like before, first of all, she wasn't tracking it. And second of all, because of her dietary patterns, sleep, stress management, etc., it wasn't regular. Right. So her, first of all, getting a regular cycle again, this, you know, archetypical fucking whatever, four week cycle, 28 day cycle. Like we got a little bit closer to that. We're at like a 30 day cycle. So for her, it's like she actually has a lot more control over like planning ahead for stuff. Now obviously you can't be perfectly planned for this stuff because you know it does whatever fuck it wants to do <laughs> but it at least allows you to be like right i'm probably going to notice some things on this week or i'm going to have to actually you know plan ahead for this week you know it does give you a little bit more you know ability to plan ahead but it is interesting as well because you start noticing that and this is something that i'm kind of excited for in terms of the research that will come out of this that a lot of individuals that are in the I'll call them whatever it is, Gen Z, is it? The next one, uh, not us millennials, Gary. Um, but the next generation, like a lot of them have grown up just tracking their cycle on apps. You know, like literally I know girls that have literally had their, app, their, their cycle tracked on an app since they were like 13, you know? So I think that's a lot more common and it is a lot more, like imagine you had like you're 23 and you have 10 years of data of like, oh, this is what my cycle has looked like. This is what it like, this is what I was doing nutritionally. This is where I was in my life, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you just have all of that data. It's like, that's a, a treasure trove of data for you, you know? So it's, it's interesting to see that that's something that is coming to fruition in the next couple of years. When people are in their twenties, maybe they have a little bit more money to spend and they're like, I want to get coaching or potentially they're like, all right, I actually want to do something with this data. It is interesting that it's going to happen. But as you said, like 
we can get really caught up in all these hormones, right? Now, obviously the pill changes things because that is effectively a supplemental or a pharmaceutical hormonal intervention. Um, potentially does change things, which we'll get to. But this is one of the things, and I want to make it really clear right now that just because there are hormonal differences between men and women doesn't mean that mean that those hormonal differences are actually going to inhibit fat loss. Because while, well, first of all, estrogen is actually really beneficial for fat loss, you know, so that's, that's fantastic. Like if you're a woman and you have more estrogen than a, a guy, fat loss is technically easier, right? You also have an easier time with a whole host of other things. And again, we've talked about them before. Progesterone now does technically make fat loss a little bit harder. Um, and that's true with its actual mechanisms and stuff, but it also does make it a little bit easier as well, because, you know, you're actually able to burn more calories just by virtue of having a different part of your cycle. Right. But it does come back to what Gary just said there, where it's like, okay, that might be the case. You might have these differences in, you know, calorie expenditure, um, basal metabolic rate or whatever across your cycle. Um, but realistically the more important thing for you as an individual listening to this or if you're coaching individuals is the fact that hunger and potentially you know your daily habits are going to change across your cycle right and if you again like i said if you have a, a cycle and you're like all right i know on week four for example you just feel fucking hungry whatever you do you just can't satisfy that hunger you know like you have to account for that in a fat loss phase like don't set yourself up for the shittest time ever the worst experience dieting if you're like right i'm going to try eat at a 500 calorie deficit and even though i know even when i'm eating at maintenance it's hard for me to stick within these calories um you know during this this last week again it's different for everyone but whatever it is for you maybe it's the last three days whatever right if you're like even at maintenance it's hard for me to stick to the calories like if you think you're going to eat at a 500 calorie deficit on top of that it's not going to happen so don't shoot yourself in the foot going forward and being like oh my diet's a failure because every four weeks you know i basically you know overeat like don't set yourself up for that failure actually account for it in your we'll call it nutritional periodization which is a great pun uh, or play on words um but account for it you know and that's something that i've done with a lot of my female female clients obviously for some individuals it doesn't need to be done some people are literally just fucking machines and they're just like give me the exact same calories throughout. Don't need to change anything. I just literally stick to them, you know? So it's like, for some people, you're going to need to account for it. It can make fat loss harder by virtue of the fact that it changes your habits and obviously changes your appetite potentially. So it makes actually sticking to the diet harder. And as everyone knows, hopefully that listens to this podcast, they know that adherence is the most important thing. Like again, we can get caught up and we can get lost in all of the little nuances of like this physiological or biochemical or fucking whatever process. It's actually irrelevant if you're not actually able to adhere to the plan. And unfortunately, the menstrual cycle potentially makes it hard to adhere to the plan. And this is where, again, the issue lies. It's not the actual hormones. Like obviously these changes are driven by hormones, right? But it's not the actual hormones being like, oh, progesterone makes it harder for fat loss. Estrogen makes it easier or harder or whatever you want to make up a theory about. That's all great. All of that biochemical analysis and all that biochemical explanation is great. It all pales in comparison to the fact that it just makes adherence harder. So that's the thing we need to focus on. Yeah, and, and I suppose like one final kind of menstrual, menstrual cycle variable, variable that may not be obvious but is not worth forgetting is the fact that because of um, menstrual bleeding, there's also a higher risk of um, anemia in women as well, which is 
may not seem like it's directly um, attached to the fat loss discussion, but um, we have had, you know, a number of women over the years who have gone to the doctors and realized that, oh, the cause of this persistent fatigue was actually the heavy menstrual bleeding um, and subsequent anemia. And if you're if you're super fatigued with with anemia um, or fatigue from another condition, you'll know that it can be very difficult to get to the gym, to put in your best effort, to get out and do your steps and stay active. So that's certainly something that can play into to the discussion again. So, again, just another barrier, I guess, that can be present. And I suppose one, one thing as well to note is that um, like a barrier to fat loss, and this is something we'll, we, we plan to discuss in this, is not being able to pursue fat loss because of the absence of your menstrual cycle or the absence of a regular menstrual cycle, I should say. And that's effectively something that men don't, they're not, men are typically not as sensitive to low energy availability as women are. Okay. And that obviously makes sense given the um, role of women as uh, bearing children. And Effectively, what can happen is if someone is amenorrheic, you know, they don't have um, their period, then the difficult thing there is that that can be the result of low energy availability. And that person may still be overweight or fatter than they would like to be, and they'd like to be leaner. But the difficult thing then is trying to pursue fat loss in the presence of that in a smart way. Now, it can be done. Absolutely. You know, a smart approach. Um, getting someone's energy availability up, addressing stressors and other variables. But most of the time for women addressing that on their own, they might just have to give up their fat loss pursuits because of um, those physiological changes. Difficult thing to overcome that I don't think men are as, they can deal with it for sure. Obviously not the loss of menstrual cycle, but other symptoms, uh, but just less likely to run into those problems. 100%. And again, it's we've talked about this before on the podcast i think we did literally a podcast on yeah the, just a few weeks ago. so that was only a few weeks ago so as i as gary was talking about like go back and listen to that podcast because we did discuss quite a bit in there but it is something to be aware of especially if you are a woman who has potentially lost her menstrual cycle by virtue of dieting to try get some fat loss like this might not be the most beneficial thing for you mm. overall now the unfortunate thing is for some individuals they are just really really sensitive to this occurring and it's just a come on like a, a foregone conclusion that to lose fat they are going to have to experience some sort of amenorrhea or at least uh changes to the menstrual cycle now that's fine at least in my eyes obviously this is a discussion you have to have with the individual but at least in my eyes i'm like that's actually okay for you know it happens a month two months if we start getting into three months i'm like okay this is actually a a pretty big issue um you know if we're getting to six months it's like we have to start dealing with this a little bit more now for some individuals again it's a no factor it's like they they're aware of the trade-offs they're aware of all the risk bone density osteoporosis in later life etc and they're like okay i'm actually okay with this but for some individuals they're not okay with those risks and they might be okay with just chasing fat loss for the next two months but if they continue to have menstrual irregularities we're just going to have to increase calories and get that low energy availability sorted you know so it is a very nuanced conversation that you have to have with the individual or with yourself if you are trying to coach yourself you're trying to look for fat loss yourself um but it is definitely something i wouldn't just ignore i wouldn't just be like ah it's fine it's fine you know, i'll deal with that when i'm later in life but unfortunately you can't deal with it when you're later in life because your bones have demineralized you know um, and just going back to that uh 
I'm talking about anemia as well. This is also a really interesting thing as well, where like you think, oh, again, it's just anemia. It's just a bit of like fatigue or whatever. But think about like, if it's iron and iron is literally bringing oxygen, well, it's not hemoglobin is bringing oxygen around your, your body. That also means to your brain. So you're not actually even thinking at your best when you have anemia, you know? And again, that goes back to the adherence side of things, because if you're not thinking at your best, you're not able to, you know, remain logical, rational, and, you know, objectively look at the data and information in front of you. Do you think you're going to adhere to your diet? Probably fucking not. <laughs> you know, if you're sitting there and you're like, oh, literally so fatigued, so tired. And you're like, oh, well, I'm just going to, you know, grab a chocolate bar or do whatever and try to get, you know, this fatigue sorted. I'm like, it just makes dieting harder. It just makes fat loss harder. And while obviously there's a huge health complications from having anemia, it just makes, as we said, we're just talking about here, it makes the fat loss goal a lot harder to achieve. So you need to address that before ever considering fat loss, right? And unfortunately it is the case where people will engage in a fat loss diet. And as a result of that, they will pull out potential iron sources from their diet, such as red meat, because they're like, oh, well, you know, it has about a few more calories from fat or whatever. So I'm not going to eat red meat. Women generally, again, especially in like our kind of culture, this kind of Anglosphere, they generally shy away from red meat. They generally tend to go towards, you know, chicken and stuff like that. And so that can already be a barrier if you start pulling out more uh, red meat sources because that's generally your, your kind of best source for iron in the diet and if you try pulling out more of that because you're in a fat loss phase you know bad things are going to happen right um but before we get on to some of the other things that we want to touch on um especially around the metabolic adaptations i do want to just go back to the discussion of the pill because this is something again we can talk about this, you know, average 28 day cycle female, you know, has a, a menstrual cycle that's, you know, picture perfect textbook of like, oh, this is exactly how it looks. But the pill actually does change pretty much everything, right? And if you go online, social media, whatever else, you'll see people say that, oh, the pill is the reason you can't lose fat. And that's, I don't think that's really the case. Like that was probably or potentially the case uh, for some of the first, maybe even second generation. Um, oral contraceptives or contraceptives like female specific contraceptives and um, but it's not really the case for some of the newer ones and um, however for some individuals and this again goes back to talking about estrogen and progesterone a lot of the issues around either of those hormones has more to do with the ratio of those hormones right and if you're taking a you know synthetic estrogen a synthetic progesterone um the ratios of those might be not ideal for your physiology and this is a little bit beyond the scope of this podcast or you know beyond the scope of what like personal trainers or coaches should be talking about but if you're having side effects from the contraceptive that you're on and you're finding like oh i'm excessively gaining weight and whether that's by virtue of you know it's just water weight which is you know a side effect or it's by virtue of the fact that your appetite now is completely dysregulated you're not able to stick to a diet you're not able to adhere to a diet like whatever it is if you are having those side effects that's something you need to talk to with your doctor right that's not something to be like oh i wonder if there's some secret you know nutrition hack or diet hack or training strategy or whatever it's like no there are other options available it's not just a case of like being on oral contraceptives are going to cause fat gain or going to inhibit fat loss it's not really the case uh, at all but it might be the case that the oral contraceptive that you're on might not be effective for you, right? There's, again, 
could be to do with the ratio, could be to do with the exact uh, form of estrogen or progesterone in that. It might not be the form, you know, like obviously there's differences in terms of our genetics, in terms of, you know, I know estrogen receptor density, in terms of the actual shape of the estrogen receptor or progesterone, all that kind of stuff is like, there are differences and a certain type for you might not be ideal, but that's why we have multiple drugs. That's why we have multiple interventions. Like you have to just find the one that works for you. So while this does get a lot of airtime and a lot of, you know, oh, this is the reason you can't lose fat. You need to come off the pill. Like it's just not, it's just not good. Uh, we'll call it science. Well, again, we can make all this mechanistic hypothesis of like, well, well, estrogen does this or progesterone does this. Ultimately, like this is a, a trade-off. If you take any medication, there's a trade-off, you know, it's like, are you willing to accept that trade-off? Are you willing to accept these, we'll call them side effects. They're just effects for you, right? Are you willing to accept that? No. Okay. Well then we have to either go on to a different medication or we have to discontinue that medication, right? If you're not willing to accept the side effects and you're not willing to try a different medication, then what are our options here? You know, but what are your thoughts there, Gary? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I think that, uh, there's, there's a lot of kind of fear mongering around, um, contraception and the pill. And I, I think it's often talked about as if it's, as if it's just kind of a homogenous thing, like, you know, there's just one pill, whereas very often, like, at least if you're working with a, a good doctor, they're going to, you know, probably play around with either the dosage or the type of the pill or other contraceptive options if someone is having adverse effects so you know if you find that your appetite is way up maybe they'll change to something else so it can, it, it can be a barrier but i mean honestly i think i think on average i don't think it's going to be something that's holding you back really from um losing body fat at least as you say the more modern um, pills, some of the earlier uh, vari variations certainly um, had some more adverse effects. But um, yeah, I mean, it is something that uh, is is a, an important thing for many women that they that they want the, the contraception. But also, there's other indications um, for the pill too, for which doctors might put um, someone on it. And I don't think that the the, there's a downside from a fat loss perspective, really, you know, some people do notice their appetite is increased, or maybe they retain a bit more water and stuff. But I mean, there, there's, there's no major effect that would offset um, the effects of a calorie deficit, you know, you're still, if you're if you're adhering to a good, uh, solid nutrition protocol, exercising regularly, etc, I wouldn't expect it to be something that um, stops your fat loss. Yeah. And also just remember, the vast majority of the people that are talking about this stuff in like health and fitness spheres, they're on synthetic testosterone anyway. So it's like, why are they allowed to take drugs and you're not? Supposedly the drugs that they take perfectly fine, but the medically prescribed drugs that you take, no bueno, don't take it. It's going to inhibit fat loss. Like it's just, it's just poor thinking. Now, obviously testosterone and the you know, progesterone and estrogen have different effects in the body. I'm not trying to say that they're the same thing, but it's just, it's just intriguing that you see these people willing to take a drug that was made in some lad's bathtub. And this drug that you were prescribed by a doctor is supposed to be the bad one. You know? Yeah. Um, doesn't really make sense. But anyway, I digress. The next thing I want to get onto is the metabolic adaptations, because these, again, I think this is probably one of the things that realistically accounts for 90% of the differences men and women see in fat loss. You know, if we were to boil it down and be like, what's the one thing I would say it's the metabolic adaptations. And what we've talked yeah. about these before, and it's basically the fact that 
due to the fact that women are the vehicle for the continuation of society, you know, women have a way more adaptive metabolism, right? And I've said it before, but like basically, like if one guy survived and all like overnight, Thanos snap, you know, it's like literally we're killing half the half the population and it's all males, and there was just one guy who somehow, you know, escaped it, right? Assuming the women that are left are willing to procreate with this one guy, the species can continue, right? The opposite is not true, right? If again, Thanos snap, boom, half the population is gone and it's all the women are gone except for one woman, it's very unlikely that the population is going to continue, right? So women are more valuable, right? And we've evolved, our bodies have evolved with that in mind. So how do we evolve with that? Well, the women that are more adaptable have more uh, adaptable metabolisms that are able to, you know, survive periods of starvation are able to survive, you know, epidemics, fucking ice ages, whatever else, right? They're able to survive having a low energy availability by shutting down, like we talked about earlier on, by shutting down these quote unquote non-vital functions, such as their hormonal system, (laughs) uh, such as this reproductive system, like it actually makes them more survivable because they don't have that energy expenditure, right? So from a survivability perspective, like the metabolic adaptations that occur that serve to reduce you know, caloric expenditure for a woman. And that's really beneficial for the survival of the species. Really, really fucking shit for fat loss, like really bad because you think about it, a guy goes into this 500 calorie deficit and he's like, right, cool. I'm going to lose, you know, a pound per week or whatever he thinks he's going to lose based on that calculation or whatever. He's like, that's what I'm going to do. 500 calorie deficit. If a woman goes into a 500 calorie deficit, like, the first week maybe she loses a pound but then all of a sudden her metabolism adapts like super quick and it's like oh you thought you were in a 500 calorie deficit now that i've you know reduced your metabolic rate you're down to a 300 calorie deficit then the next week you're down to a 200 calorie deficit and the next week a 100 calorie deficit and it does this by virtue of reducing meat usually that's the big one where you know you just stop moving as much you generally get a lot colder so like thyroid hormone output and everything goes down and and ultimately, again, it affects your adherence and it puts you in a position where fat loss is just far more difficult, right? So that's the big one. And we've talked about it multiple times on the podcast before. So I don't think we need to do a huge deep dive on this, but everyone's metabolism adapts uh, to the calorie load that you are putting into it. So if you're eating less, your metabolism goes down slightly. And again, this is adaptive. It's not damage or anything like that, because as soon as you put more calories in, it's going to go back up. It's going to go back to this quote unquote normal level. Um, but it is something that's going to inhibit fat loss because again, it comes back to calorie calories in calories out. And if you are eating in a deficit and that deficit is getting smaller and smaller because your body is adapting and not burning as many calories anymore, you're not going to get the fat loss results that you want. What are your thoughts there, Gary? Metabolic adaptations. Would you agree that that is the number one? That is the the master. Understand that and you've got everything to do, well, the majority of stuff to do with female fat loss. Yeah, and, and I suppose like that, that that's definitely something that is huge. And what I would put alongside it is it it's, it's a very much related point that you kind of alluded to. But that is the fact that not only do you have to deal with adaptations that are a little bit more sensitive but also on average 
a lower baseline level of calorie maintenance to begin with, which is not necessarily concordant with the modern food environment. I think this is probably one of the biggest challenges for women and for just like smaller, lighter guys too. But it's it's just the the fact that like the if you go out for if you're going out for food, drinks, etc., you're buying particular portions of food it's just generally not in line with being able to lose body fat. You know, if you want to go to five guys or something, get a lovely double cheese or bacon or whatever, and you're getting some fries and you're getting a milkshake, you're talking 2000 calories, you know, uh, uh, it's not uncommon for a, you know, 50, 60, 70 kilo female to be within the range of, you know, 1500 to 2000 calorie maintenance. Um, so it's very difficult to fit in those things on a regular basis. It doesn't mean you can't do it. It just takes a lot more work than for me, like me at the moment, for example, like I'm eating at least 4,000 calories a day, which means that, which means that if I want to go out for food or I want to have a beer or I want to have, I don't know, a Coke or some sweets, I don't have to think twice about that stuff just from a calorie perspective. I can just do it. It's just not a big deal. Whereas for someone on, with maintenance of 1500, there's just so much extra thought and planning that has to go into these things that then limits your social life and your capacity to be able to engage in a fat loss plan long term while maintaining that social life and your career, etc. So yeah, you know, the, the food environment and, and the social life of many people, even the professional life where people have to eat out um, on lunch meetings and stuff like that with business they're very difficult things to put together. So that's definitely a a huge barrier alongside the, the adaptations that then take place as you do it here. Yeah. hundred percent. And like, again, like we've, and we did an entire podcast series on this, like uh, fat loss generally around the food environment and stuff like that. Um, But think about it just logically. Imagine you have a food environment that is, you know, very hyper palatable foods, high calorie density, et cetera. But then you also combine that with the fact that you are a smaller individual. So you already have less calories. Like you're just smaller. Like I weigh whatever, 95 kilos. If you weigh 60 kilos, like me just living, I burn through many, way more calories. Right. And so there's that. Right. But then also you combine it. The food environment is suggesting you to eat way more calories than you're able to for that body weight. But then also we decide, you know, what would be great? Sedentary jobs right so we then have the situation where it's like the calories inside of things not great because the food environment is saying let's eat loads the calorie outside of things is you're a smaller individual and you now have a sedentary job right so fat loss for individuals you know if you're literally fucking a 55 kilo female and you want to even lose like two kilos of body fat not uncommon to have to be on 1100 calories you know and i know in social media these days you're like oh my god 1100 calories you know your coach must be fucking awful for putting you on that like there's no way around it for some individuals you know it's like you shouldn't feel bad by virtue of the fact that you just have to eat less calories because you have a sedentary job because you are a smaller individual because the food environment is you know difficult to navigate as well it's like it's just it's just the the way it is you know now you can obviously go for a much slower fat loss phase and be like, right, I'm, I have a maintenance of 1500. I'm only going to go on to 1400, but then you're literally dieting for two years to lose two kilos. And it's like, you'd be better off just eating 1100, getting it done in fucking eight weeks, <laughs> you know? So it's like, we have to look into those things a little bit deeper, you know? And um, so that's a lot of, again, if we stopped it here, 
you you'd go away from this podcast knowing that okay that's the difference there's the difference between men and women in terms of fat loss right but there are some other things that are you know really quick to go through first one is that um body fat distribution is obviously different between men and women you know in general obviously we're talking in generalities here and um, but that can make it like you can be looking for an unattainable goal like you can be looking for something that just is impossible for female physiology in, in not impossible i shouldn't say that but a, a lot harder for female physiology like if you're looking for striated glutes or you're looking for striated quads as a woman like you're gonna have to be dieting hard you're gonna have to diet for a long time you know if you're looking for you know relatively lean abs that's a lot shorter of a diet for a woman for a guy not so much you know abs that's the last thing for guys to come in right and so that is something to be aware of that first of all fat distribution is different but forget about the comparison between women and men like that's i think a lot of people would understand that that like women generally hold more fat um, and also they hold it in their legs their lower body right and but on top of that and this is just by virtue of the fact that it's or just a fucking annoying thing is that if you compare a woman to another woman they could literally have the exact same body fat percentage and look completely different like if you just genetically because of your parents or whatever you just store body fat in your boobs and your bum you know like you could be 35 percent body fat and you compare yourself if you you store it favorably there you could compare yourself to someone that stores it less favorably and you're like they have no boobs, they have no bum, and they store it all in this kind of like central adiposity, more of this like male body fat pattern. You compare those two individuals and you'd be like, oh, this person that stores it more centrally, they're really overweight and whatever else. And um, whereas this other individual that just stores the exact same quantity of body fat in their boobs and their bum, all of a sudden they're a social media icon. They're like, oh my God, like you have the ideal physique and whatever else, you know? So it's like, you have to actually be realistic with your goals, your ambitions, with the genetics that you have. Um, and that is just uh, oftentimes a hard pill to swallow. And that's not to say that you can't improve the you know look of your body, the body composition, and then also the shape of your body. Um, but it is something that you just need to be realistic with. You just need to actually look at your body and be like, right, actually, where do I store body fat? And I don't mean like, like, oh, where do I store it when I don't like it? I'm like, do you actually store fat on your boobs? You know, do you actually store fat on your bum your thighs like like where are you actually storing this like because that actually allows you to be more realistic you know because i know everyone always goes like oh i store the majority of my fat here and it's like no you don't you don't store it there it's, that's just a place that you don't like it you know <laughs> it's like that's not where you store the majority of it that's not where you have stubborn body fat that's just where you would preferentially like it to go right so that is something to be aware of and then somewhat like and it's really apparent especially because like women will give out about stuff that it's just like it's necessary for female physiology like women will give out about like fat uh, just below their belly button and i'm like this fat here is literally evolutionarily designed so that it keeps you fucking reproductively healthy <laughs> you know it's like we want to have a fat store near our reproductive organs you know it's like this is beneficial it's the same reason like well, it's not the same reason but it's this same like evolutionary thought process of like why are men's testicles outside the body it's because oh well actually being slightly cooler is better for sperm production you know do you think having your testicles outside of your body is conducive to war living a fucking life that you want to live anything like that no that's why a lot of animals keep their testicles inside their body you know it's like if you're going to fight another individual and he rips off your fucking testicles like that's not great for the continuation of the species right so 
that is something to be aware of. It's like evolution has designed things for a reason. That reason may not be, you know, what you want in day-to-day life now in this environment where we've taken ourselves out of, you know, nature, but it is designed that way for a reason, right? Um, And unfortunately, again, it might not be congruent with what you want, right? And related to this is the fact that oftentimes, like female anatomy, like the structure of their bones puts them in a position where they have features that they don't necessarily want, right? And they don't necessarily like the look of, right? And this can be misconstrued then as like, oh, I just need to lose fat. Like you'll see women talk about the fact that like, oh, I have these like hip dips, right? Um, or like saddlebags. They like talk about like, oh, the side of my leg here, like it's a saddlebag or whatever. It's just fat loss. I need to get more fat loss and it'll, it'll improve the look of that. When in reality, it's like, this is literally just the like Q angle of your hips for one, but then also like the actual joint structure here. It's like, these are, these are your bones. You're not going to change that with fat loss, you know? Cause like, that's not going to actually impact that. You're not going to be able to add muscle and just like plop it on here. Like, you know, uh, some sort of like fucking mala or whatever. It's like, it's, that's not going to happen. Right. Um, so you need to be realistic. And unfortunately, if you are an individual that's just getting into this stuff, you don't have realistic expectations because you just look at, the women on social media that have these idealized physiques, these have these like genetically favorable fat distribution and then genetically favorable, like bone structure to, you know, look a certain way, you know, what are your thoughts there, Gary? Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with all of that, you know, body fat distribution is something that varies both, you know, within and across the sexes, you know? So, I mean, like guys complain of the exact same thing, you know, they'll like for me, for example, I have the classic kind of Android body fat uh, distribution where I store a bit more of my abdomen. Uh, So my abs will disappear, but I'll still have like veins in my arms. My legs will look quite lean. My face will always be lean. Um, And there's pros and cons to that. Like I'd like to see my abs more, you know, I'd like to see them at a higher body fat percentage, but at the same time, I like when my arms look kind of veiny, you know, and I like when my face looks a little bit leaner. So there's, there's always going to be pros and cons and you just kind of have to take that and, just recognize what you can and can't change. There's almost always some advantage to the things that are downsides. You know, as you say, they evolutionarily conserve body fat distribution for um, childbirth, etc. And and yeah, look, just it's not worthy of your attention if it's not something you can change. And and recognize that it's most often those things that you can't change that people will prey on the most. You know, you've got lots of special exercises to fix your hip dips and all that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, just, just try to keep your attention away from that. Yeah. Which brings me to the next point. And it's probably if the fact that women have metabolic adaptations that are less favorable for fat loss, if that's the number one, the number two is actually the fact that women are exposed to utter fucking shit online with regards to nutrition and training right it's definitely the number two issue ineffective training programs and ineffective diet strategies and that's by virtue of both individuals preying on these individuals these other individuals that are looking for fat loss like they're like oh here have this cabbage shake diet right or like here follow my you know fitness plan and it's like this is actual crap right the only reason it works for you is because you are the genetic elite and you know you have favorable fat distribution and favorable bone structure right so like ineffective training programs and ineffective nutrition protocols 
probably the number two reason that women have a much harder time with fat loss. That's not to say that men aren't exposed to other crap online as well. For sure they are. But by virtue of the fact that, you know, uh, for the last, whatever, we'll say 70 years, like lifting weights and getting manly and jacked has been seen as a, a male endeavor. Like there is better information there. And then also in the field of like nutrition and stuff, a lot more research has just been done on guys and because of the by virtue of the fact that a lot more guys stay in like structured athletic endeavors like you know sports and whatever else for longer throughout their life like i think it's like the average dropout or the stopping of exercise for women is 14 something like that or around that age and so if you're a guy and you're like you're going through your formative years and you've been on a football team and they get like a nutritionist to come in every so often and you're getting exposed to you know hopefully better information from uh a more reputable source, like you end up with a more educated culture, population, whatever of, you know, the individuals that get that. So that is something to be aware of. And especially if you are a woman, like you probably know your friends are the nutrition knowledge that they have is purely by virtue of the fact of whatever they've been exposed to in, you know, random magazines that they follow um, or random fucking accounts, whether they're fitness accounts or just, you know, other women that they follow that are like oh i like her style or what she stands for or whatever else and they might know absolutely fucking nothing about nutrition or training or whatever else but by virtue of people asking them like what do you do for your body or whatever all of a sudden they're giving nutrition advice and training advice and it could be utter fucking slop right so that's the number two reason that makes fat loss harder for women the societal it's not even expectations. The societal structure has led to women being less educated with training and nutrition. Now, the great thing about this is over the last number of years, let's say the last 10 years, this has trained that changed a huge amount, right? Like I remember, like I, you know, finished secondary school in 2010, getting old. Um, and like at 18, like I've, literally I could probably count on less than two fingers, the amount of girls I know that went to the gym, you know? And if they did go to the gym, they probably only did cardio. They might've only done a spin class, maybe some Pilates or yoga or something like that, right? Like it was never, ever structured resistance training. Now, obviously this is just an Irish experience. It could be different across the world, but definitely in the last 10 years, a lot more women have gotten into like properly structured resistance training. A lot more women have gotten into like properly structured diets and you know nutrition protocols. So it is definitely changing. However, we still have that legacy of like, you know, if you're over- if you were born before, I don't know, whatever fucking, I don't know, 2000, you probably have been exposed to absolute utter crap online um, and even offline as well. And then also you have to go through a lot of fucking crap to kind of find out what is effective if you are a woman, because there are some differences between men and women in terms of what we have to do, nutrition, training, etc., whatever, right? So that's the number two reason for me that fat loss is harder for women. Do you have any thoughts on that, Gary? No, no, I agree with all that. Fantastic. And then we have the final thing that I want to just touch on because if we don't, we're not going to have completely talked about everything, right? And that is that there are obviously female-specific issues that do actually make fat loss harder, right? But we're talking about the general here. We're talking about the you know, average, you know, individual, if you have a medical condition that makes it harder for fat loss, for example, like PCOS, it's a female specific issue. Um, or at least I think it is. Um, it's a female specific issue that potentially does interact with 
your ability to lose fat, right? It interacts with like this, we'll call it insulin resistance. And again, there are stuff or there is stuff there that we could talk about in another time actually. Um, but there are female specific issues that can make fat loss harder. Again, there's also autoimmune, autoimmune issues and there's a number of reasons for that. Um, but that can also make fat loss harder. Like you, if you have like Crohn's disease or you have like really poor digestion or whatever, um, which are a little bit more prevalent in the female populations, like it's going to make fat loss harder, you know, potentially. It might actually make fat loss easier because you're not able to fucking eat, which is not great as well. But it is something that we need to consider, right? So there are female-specific issues, but it's kind of beyond the scope of this podcast right now because we're talking about the average. That would be like saying like, oh, um, is there male, is there a difference between men and women in terms of fat loss? And all of us just talking about like, you know, prostate cancer or something. You know, it's like, this is not the average, right? We need to talk about the average, first of all, and then we can deal with the, the outliers or the specific cases that are only for women, you know? And like, obviously some of them are i shouldn't say only for women more prevalent in women like you know you can get breast cancer as a guy for example you know um but that's beyond the scope of this podcast so gary do you have anything else to say to wrap this up and if not where can people find us well i think that covers everything to be honest and obviously if you would uh like guidance on your path as a woman or as a man that's cool too uh we do have coaching spaces available and um, we have dr nicola, nicola flanagan as one of our coaches who is very passionate about women getting into strength training and helping them on that process um obviously improving their physique and stuff as well but if you'd like to work with her she does have spaces available as do the rest of the triage coaches so if you need information about coaching you can find that in the description box below you can also find information about our social media, you know, follow us on tri at triage method, all the content we're putting out goes there at the triage method, Instagram. You can also follow all of our individual coaches. Um, we do have nutrition only coaching as well, which is worth noting. So if you're someone who, you know, you might want help with your fat loss, or you might want to get your diet in order, but your training is on point. We do have that option as well, where you can just work with our nutrition coaching team. If you're a coach yourself and you want to support your education, you can join the Triage Method Coaches Corner. We do have a newsletter as well, the Triage Method newsletter, which you can subscribe to. And we've uh, got our social media, as I say. Um, I would recommend that if you're if you like what we're doing, do share the podcast on your social media. You know, even on your story, let people know that you're listening to it. Recommend it to a friend, and maybe even leave a rating and review if that is an option on the pla pa podcast platform that you listen to. Fantastic, Gary. Anyway, I have nothing else to say, so I hope everyone enjoyed that. And if you do have any questions or anything, you know where we are. You can always reach out. And I hope you have a fantastic week ahead.